0: In our text today, Jesus says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. So there you go. If you forget everything else you hear this morning, remember that Jesus said that when your boss is out of town, you should embezzle money from the company and use it to buy favors. That can't be what it means. That's, it. That's just not who Jesus is. But before we dive into the text, I should warn you that I'm about to talk about money. Not because the church wants your money, although we are glad to take it if you offer it, and there are credit card giving forms in the pews in front of you. <laughs> but because Jesus talks about money a lot. In fact, Jesus talked about Money more than any other single topic. Fully one out of every ten verses in the Bible is about how to deal with money and possessions. It's not because Jesus was obsessed with wealth. There's no evidence that he ever owned anything more than the clothes on his back and even those he lost before he died. I think it's because Jesus knew the amount of time and energy that we spend thinking about money. Whether we have plenty of money or not enough, money is powerful in all of our lives. Obviously, there's the practical power that it has. We need it to survive. It can determine where we live, where our kids go to school, who our friends are. That's enough on its own. But for most of us, it has this kind of mysterious symbolic power, too. It takes on this emotional weight. Without even realizing it, money comes to symbolize for us respect, safety, love, competence. It gets tangled up in our friendships and our family relationships. Whenever I do premarital counseling, the number one topic that couples dread talking about is money. I had one future groom tell me, I will do another session on why I don't like my mother-in-law before I will talk about money. (laughs) And all of this stuff, the, the relational parts of it, the practical parts of it, the emotional parts of it, they all get tangled up in a big ball, and the end result is that many of us, perhaps even most of us, live with a lot of guilt and a lot of anxiety about money. And that anxiety... I think, is what Jesus is speaking to in this parable. How are we called to use what we have so that we don't live in that space of stress and of shame and worry? Jesus compares us to stewards, to managers, who have been left in charge of the property of an absent rich man. We're given control over wealth and possessions that are fundamentally not ours. They belong to God. And we're left with the question of what we do with these things while they're under our control. And so from the very beginning, Jesus calls us to a fundamental shift in the way that we look at what we have. It's not ours. We might be proud. We might be justifiably proud of how hard we worked to earn it, but it's still not ours. All the money we have, all our possessions... They're just on loan, and we're accountable for using them well while we have them. And in a way that acknowledges that we're only temporary guardians of these things. Temporary guardians of stuff that belongs fundamentally to someone else. That's why Jesus keeps referring in this text to dishonest wealth. It's dishonest because it's not ours. It belongs to someone else. It belongs to God. And when we treat it as if it belongs only to us, we're taking from God. It's dishonest wealth. And I think that recognition is the first step toward untangling that big knot of anxiety that we all carry. Because it means that money and stuff is just money and stuff. It's not an indicator of our worth. It's not love. It's not the only thing that's going to keep us safe in the world. It's just money. We'll make mistakes with it, squandering it as the steward does in the story, but we'll be forgiven. Money comes and goes, usually in ways that aren't convenient for us. But in the end, it isn't ours. It never was. I don't know about you, I find that comforting. All I need to do is to use what I've been temporarily entrusted with to the best of my ability. Nothing more, nothing less. But Jesus has more to say. When the manager has to give the final account for what he's done with the property entrusted to him, the rich man forgets about the manager's initial mistakes and commends him for reducing debts owed to the estate in order to win friends and goodwill for himself. Initially, this seems mysterious. The manager seems to have defrauded the rich man in order to gain favor for himself. But if you think about it, if you leave aside for a moment his dubious intentions, which we've all got from time to time, the manager did use the wealth of the estate to lessen the burden that other people had to bear. He used that wealth to build relationship with other people. And that's central to what Jesus has to say about what we're called to do with what we have. We're to spend generously generously and creatively. And I don't mean that generosity um, only means the Ginger Strickland memorial wing of the church and swimming pool. (laughs) Whether we're rich or poor, we can be generous in small things and in large. And that generosity is the only cure to the anxiety about money that plagues all of us. Because generosity implies a sort of lightness, a sort of freedom, um, a lack of anxiety and a a sort of sense of purpose with what we have, whether it's a lot or a little. Because we're called to spend what we have to lessen the load that other people have to bear. In Jesus' day, a story about an absentee landlord and farmers that owed the landlord would have been very familiar. Subsistence farmers staggered under huge debts to wealthy absentee landlords. That was sort of how society ran. And if it got bad enough, the farmer would be forced off his land, becoming a beggar. So when the manager cuts down how much wheat or oil someone owes, it's a big deal. It could be the difference between life and death for the debtor. So that manager's action probably made a big difference in the life of those subsistence farmers. In the same way, Jesus is calling us to spend our money generously in a way that lessens the burdens that other people have to carry. There are a thousand ways, big and small, to use our money in a way that lessens the burden of others, from giving generously to the church or to nonprofits to buying a cup of coffee for someone that you know is struggling. We don't need to be wealthy philanthropists to spend generously. It's not about how much you spend, it's about how you spend it. Something small can make another person's day a lot easier. Jesus also calls us to use our money to build relationships. He's being tongue-in-cheek when he says, make friends for yourself using dishonest wealth. Remember that for Jesus, all wealth is essentially dishonest wealth because it's not ours. It's on loan from God. And so he's calling us to use our money in a way that builds a web of relationship in a way that builds community. Not in a way that buys friends, but in a way that connects us to other people rather than distancing ourselves from them. It's an interesting way, if you think about it, to evaluate whatever financial decisions you're making. In this decision, am I using money in a way that connects me more deeply to other people or in a way that separates me from them? It's really easy to use money as a way to exert control or to assert superiority. We've all probably done it. It takes a constant effort to use our money and our possessions in order to connect with other people instead of as a way to keep our distance. Finally, Jesus calls us to use our money in a way that points to God and who we believe God to be. Even if his motives were a little bit shady, the manager's generosity with the debtors probably made his boss look really good. In the same way, we're called to be generous in a way that points people toward the love of God, because the love of God is generous, it's forgiving, it's joyful, and that's how we're called to use our money, with a sort of kindness and forgiveness and trust that reflects the God we've experienced. All this is so easy for me to talk about and incredibly hard to do. I get super anxious about this stuff. But our goal as Christians, I think, is to have an attitude toward money that reflects who we believe God to be. We're called to be like the manager in the parable. Maybe making mistakes, but generous to a fault. Spending money in a way that strengthens our connections with others in a way that reflects our values. Making mistakes, certainly, but never forgetting that the money we have really doesn't belong to us in the first place. Because if it wasn't ours in the first place, it's a lot easier to let go of. The only cure to our anxiety about money is generosity. As usual, Jesus said it best. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen.